the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I do want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. I trust... um, that you have built some normalcy into this whole abnormal thing called uh, the corona coronavirus um, pandemic. That uh, our cover for shelter and uh, social distancing for the last four weeks now has been safely modified for you in your own way and in your own life. You and your family, by the way, uh, in a way whereby you have adjusted. You can you can you can walk. Uh, and, and, and be productive and stay centered and stay focused in your journey with Christ. I, I hope that's the case. And I say that because there are so many who are not doing as well as we would want them to do when it comes to this present virus. A lot of people are stressing. A lot of people are troubled. A lot of people um, are um, moving into uh, places of assumptions that might might not be that good for us. So I do understand that we are we have come together as a almost a global uh, world under the same conditions, under the same trial, under the same uh, circumstances. And, And it can be difficult. It can be very difficult. I do want to welcome you to the Monday edition of Lifeline. So glad to be with you on this April 20th, 2020. The number to reach me is one 329 Let's talk for two hours. Let's have a conversation. Let's uh, engage your concerns, your thoughts, your observations. Let's just um, take advantage of free speech. We get to do that here. We don't get to do this in uh, China. We don't get to do this necessarily in Turkey. We don't get to do it per se, in Russia. We get to do it here in America. Freedom of speech, a critical tool for making way for the truth. Freedom and truth, two different things. But without freedom, truth cannot flourish. And so uh, here we are, um, 507, on the Monday edition of Lifeline, feeling pretty good, just uh, emerged from a beauty nap, if you will, for about a half an hour before... Uh, coming to prepare some notes and chat with you, really um, contemplating how to go about a conversation that would be, uh, you know, somewhat different, but at the same time not so surreal or so um, so different that we aren't dealing with the real world. I hate to be part of a sort of a, a parallel universe that that doesn't actually make concrete uh, connection with the world in which we live. 
I think truth is about that. Biblically, the concept of truth in the New Testament is the idea of pulling back the veil so that we can see what really exists. Aletheia in the Greek. And in the Hebrew, it's the word amen, from which we practice a uh, healthy confirmation of propositional truth. Amen. And so truth is that which corresponds to the reality according to how God made it. But you and I will battle, won't we, with um, determining what is reality, what is truth at the present time. We have to interpret everything through the prism of our own minds, our own hearts, our own emotions, uh, the strain and filter of our own experiences, our own cultural background, our, background, our own prejudices, our own struggles, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things I, I really did want to kind of talk about was just, you know, um, how, we, how are we faring? want to make sure that uh, we are not neglecting elements of our audience that might be uh, more vulnerable or more at risk for some of the um, arduous and uh, impactful elements of this, this pandemic. I'd love to hear from some of you who may be uh, struggling and at risk of losing jobs, not keeping your home. Um, I'd love to hear from some of you who may have uh, even had to forego the virus or had a loved one, a relative, who has uh, foregone the virus. Love to hear from you. Even if you have had loved ones who have uh, deceased and passed as a consequence of it, we'd love to hear from you too. Uh, one of the things we want to make sure that the Christian world never ever succumbs to is a kind of false notion that we are immune to the same kinds of impacts and troubles that our world is going through. We never want to present a Christianity that makes us so different from other people on the planet that we are, are uber men and uber women and that somehow our faith allows us to rise above the conditions and circumstances of the world. I'm, uh, I'm just really saddened and, and admonished by the New Jersey pastor who just recently passed away on uh, Easter um, or Resurrection Sunday, actually the Saturday before Resurrection Sunday, um, and the the kind of debacle that came out of his uh, public testimony and, and rejection of the protocol to stay inside. I'm going to read a little bit of the article shortly down the line in, in order for us to kind of get some takeaway from it, because I had to, several reasons. When I thought about who he was, this particular pastor in... Um, New Jersey, there are several similar components. One, he was African-American, and based upon what we are hearing with regards to some of the statistics around the coronavirus, African-American people have been some of the most susceptible people to the coronavirus for one reason or another. Two, he was at risk because he was older, an older gentleman. He was older than me, but I'm, uh, I'm on the borderline of being at risk for the coronavirus, uh, third, he's, uh, he, he, he's, he's a pastor, just like I am, and had a congregation. So, you know, there are a lot of things similar about him and myself and a, a number of you pastors out there listening as well. And uh, and and what we need to what we need to do, we need to take away from what 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 this individual, um, what he engaged in, he, he his his choice to define faith relative to this event and step out on the limb of uh, look at me, I call it a kind of look at me type of faith, 
that kind of faith is not biblical faith. It's not warranted in the word of God. It doesn't give you or me um, the right to, as it were, walk on the water and tell all the other disciples to look at me. That's exactly why Peter began to sink, because he was seeking to once again uh, maintain a unique distinction between him and the other 11. When you look at that account in the Gospels very carefully, he sank real quick because the storm was way too big for him all by himself. It wasn't too big for his master, but it was too big for him. And uh, even though the master gave him right to walk on the water for a few seconds, he did that to admonish Peter and to humble Peter and to let Peter know, as I have taught for many years on that passage in the, in the gospel account, that uh, a look at me kind of faith is not the faith that God is calling us to. Neither is he calling us, beloved, to a faith by which, watch this now, we operate separate from the unity of the body and that somehow our group, our team, our denomination, our, uh, our church, our ministry can have a greater, uh, uh, if you will, testimony than everybody else because, um, you know, the Lord is honoring our walking on the water. I don't believe that for a moment in that regard. I believe that faith is designed to be humble. It's designed to be wise and to, to be prudent. It can have miraculous manifestations and, and powerful testimonies of God's keeping grace in situations where it will uniquely glorify God. For instance, we know that the three boys, the three Hebrew boys in, in Daniel chapter 2 and 3, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, otherwise Mishio, Hananiah, and Azariah, were, um, were operating out of a biblical faith when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and they protested against the king's edict because the king was operating immorally by mandating that they would practice idolatry. So in a situation like that, yeah, you and I would be calling upon God to strengthen us as we would move out in obedience to him and disobedience to the state. But what we would not do, which the Hebrew boys did not do either, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, if God does not deliver us, be sure to know we still won't worship your pagan God which is an Old Testament motif and model of the one world government, that big old statue of Neb and uh, fascist governments ruling over the people of God. <clears throat> but um, God did deliver them, didn't he? He, he? he made it clear. He, uh, he strengthened them and he kept them in the midst of the fire, but it was not in order to boast in the Hebrew boys. You guys remember what Neb said. He said, uh, hey, I thought we just threw three men into the fire. There's a fourth person in the fire that looks like the son of the living God. That's my emphasis. Because Jesus showed up to be their protection, their shelter, their, uh, their, their hiding place, their cupboard in the storm, in this case in the fire, to protect them in order that he might be glorified as king of kings and lord of lords and ruler over hell and death as you and I are learning in the book of the Revelation right now. So the three Hebrew boys were delivered, but their faith was operating out of a humility before God. It didn't operate in this kind of uh, sad, sad scenario that you and I are having to contemplate with the pastor in New Jersey. And uh, after the break, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that because it's important for us 
to, to learn the lesson. Make sure that we don't collapse. We want to be able to walk by faith. We want to be able to walk in confidence with God. But faith and confidence will always call for wisdom. It will always call for wisdom. Um, whether we know it or not and whether the world knows it or not. In God's economy, in God's providence and purpose, the church and the world, while they are viable enemies, don't ever forget that, the church and the world at the fundamental level of epistemology, of their worldviews, of their intrinsic antipathy toward the things of God, of their hostility towards Christ as ruler and God as sovereign and, and the people of God as representative of the true and the living God. And therefore, the church should be always reminding the world by our humility that the world is accountable to God. There will always be that antithesis, that, that conflict there. At the same time, do you know what else God mandates? It mandates that the church operates as a vehicle of support and um, uh, benefit to the world by our gifts and our skill sets. So God, on the one hand, calls us to humble ourselves and to submit to every ordinance of man where it's lawful. And then on the other hand, he tells us to preach the gospel and to care for people in ways in which it opens the door for Christ to be communicated to them. So we have the tension of telling them there's a there's a hell to avoid, there's a God to obey, there's a grace to receive, there's a Jesus to submit to. But also we have to let them know we're willing to help, we're willing to serve, we're willing to um, lay our lives down in harm's way uh, if it would mean an advancement of God's glory. Now that is the way our faith should be operating. It's operated throughout the world that way. In fact, you know what? Largely, whenever there was dilemma, war, famines, pestilences, all of these types of things, the church actually was able to enter in and be an extremely effective source of help and encouragement and temporal benefit to the world throughout uh, church history by all of our charitable organizations and our willingness to help. And I'm sure across the nation, those testimonies are there. They simply have been eclipsed by the kind of media that you and I are um, used to uh, propagandizing and making sure that we stay in a mode of darkness concerning good works that are going on in the world. Plus, there's always a narrative of uh, dialectical hostility between left and right. You know that. you got to be able to rise above that kind of media and look for the news that actually is substantially God-honoring. I've got two lines open, one 888 1-888-367-5329, 1-888-367-5329, open to any good topics you want to help create a potpourri for these two hours as well. But as I stated earlier, if you are challenged and you are struggling with, if you will, um, you know, the coronavirus in terms of personal illness or a loved one, or if you are struggling uh, in terms of impacted with regards to work, uh, your, your, your home, etc., love to hear from you so we can pray for you and make sure that you become uh, one of the ones that we uphold, uh, that God might come through and deliver you and bring you back into a safe place of, uh, of tranquility. Also, I'm not only uh, reading about it, but I'm hearing about it. Increasing anxiety on the part of uh, of, of people um, because of this, you know, abnormal uh, pattern and being shut down. Young people struggling. 
parents struggling, uh, singles are struggling. If you may be one that's kind of struggling and on the margins of uh, anxiety, love to hear from you. We can pray for you and, and can talk it through. I've got a couple of articles I want to read on that as well. I uh, just privileged to be here on Monday. Uh, somewhat and relatively healthy by God's grace, watching it every day in my own life, uh, trying to follow the rules best I can. And I'm glad to be able to talk with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Again, the number one 888 I'm going to take a break. When I come back, we'll continue on this Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back at the time, 528 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We've got one line open, one 888 Let me go to line number one and talk with Jermaine. Jermaine on line one. Jermaine, are you there? Hello. Hey, Jermaine, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you, man? I'm um, um, well, I guess uh, my question today was with all the uh, stay-at-home orders, how do you, how would you say is an effective way to kind of shepherd and lead your family? Because I know you, you've had a large family and have had to do quite a bit of shepherding. But, you know, it's easy to say, but when you have children, you have different age groups and different levels of understanding. I uh, kind of looked at this as an assignment more than just something I'm doing, and I want to do it properly. So mm-hmm. we're breaking down the bare bones minimum of theology to how we got our Bibles. I was just kind of looking for some pointers on how you would effectively start something like that. It all, you know, it, it kind of depends on where, where you are with your family. I, that's something that I've become much more uh, sensitive to being uh, a longtime pastor now. But, you know, for instance, with my kids, with our kids, with, with my wife and I, our kids grew up in uh, a gospel home or church home. They are all PK kids, uh, you know, from a world standpoint, that's bad. From, uh, from a divine standpoint, that's exceedingly good. It's an inheritance from the Lord that, you know, that gives them advantages. And so, you know, from the time they were conceived in the womb, they're hearing Bible verses and psalms and hymns uh, saying and things of that nature, um, which means, you know, early on, they got some of the framework of of a biblical worldview, biblical theology and, and things like that. As they got older, um, a general conversation of things, of spiritual things, which just constituent to to our household, just part of the fabric of us being a uh, a gospel family. But but I will admit, as they moved into the teenage status, and that's that's kind of where I make a difference between. Um, you know, children that are really young and wide open, the pideons, that, that's what I would call them, the ones that are naturally used to instructions uh, versus, um, uh, you know, young teenagers that are 15, 16, 17 years old, because they're moving into a different frame of reference. They're, they're struggling. Teenagers will be struggling largely with identity issues, relationship issues, um, you know, uh, personal struggles that require a more tailored uh, theological approach. Although what you're doing in terms of going back to fundamental basics, I, I think is great. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that there is a like particular way to do it. 
um, because every family is different in that regard. And the best way to deal with uh, each family is to really kind of find out where they might, where the young people might be challenged. And uh, it would probably be more for me is, you know, an open forum mode is what I love. And so I would say, hey, um, so you guys, we are, we're stuck in the house together and that's not a bad thing. Um, uh, is there, is there any uh, area of your walk with God that, that you might want to talk about? You may want to uh, engage in. So, you know, I would know that if you had the ability, that's not always the case. It all depends on the family, but if you had the ability to, to do devotions, uh, with them that man, that's huge. Uh, but like, this is a great time to talk about fears, talk about concerns, talk about, uh, plans for the future and, and, and try to anchor that in the word of God and see, uh, see how that dialogue goes. Cause what you're talking about now is, is shepherding, which is a tailored form of teaching. Like you can teach Jermaine and not shepherd. And you can you can shepherd and shepherding is always teaching. So your question is valid. Uh, and for me, that would start with uh, two things. It would start with asking them where they are in their walk with God. And, and you know, do we do we want to start pursuing some answers around uh, whatever questions you may have? Because they do have them. There's no doubt about it. Every human being has questions about the Bible. Where did it come from? Is it the word of God? Is it inerrant? Is it infallible? Uh, is it inspired? Is it trustworthy? Um, I see some contradictions or I've heard about contradictions uh, that that bother me. And, uh, you know, I, maybe maybe that would be a place to to uh, engage with with your children. But you can also do the other thing that's really wise. And you would know this, you know, ask your wife, you know, what is her perception about where the kids are and what would be the best way to approach that in terms of, um, of uh, having a conversation with them around these things as well. Um, I, I love this question. Uh, and, and largely what I try to do is be consistent with what I'm saying now. And that is it's going to be organic to every family. Uh, and it has to be in relationship to where everybody is. It's more formal and structural when they're younger. It's more informal and uh, targeted when they get older. And if I'm not mistaken, your 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 young people are they're they're all teenagers, right? Uh, I have a uh, one teenager, one preteen, and and the rest are in between. They're just uh one one very little one, and that's kind of where I try to have this uh, grand vision to just take them all through the Bible, but then certain parts of the Bible is like, okay, uh, you know, I'm sitting there looking at little children's eyes and I get to parts about uh, knowing your wife and, and various forms of assault. And, and it's like, okay, that, that's not for them right now. So I have to really rethink this and, and approach it strategically. How old are the ones that are uh, preteen? Uh, six and, and nine. Okay. Well, you know, the, the the euphemisms are, are designed to to overcome some of that, um, you know, that, and that's what the Bible uses when it talks about sex. It uses the uh, the the New Testament term genoske and the Old Testament term yada, which means to investigate and to know and to and to be fully aware of. And and so those terms are legitimate. But like you said, there will be some grown folk stuff in the book that the kids often are not necessarily prepared for 
Um, but you know, you I, I you got you. I've known you for a while. You you have a way. You you would be able to. You would be able to negotiate that in, with the kids as well. Uh, the other thing I do want to say about it, because this this question that you're raising is a challenge for a lot of parents, because we're often looking for enthusiastic feedback from the kids, and you're not going to necessarily get that, and you don't necessarily need that. Um, children are generally unregenerate until God saves them way down the line. And so they will be complicit because these are the rules of our household and you're obeying God. So you got to obey God and, and teach them. That's what the Bible says. So you got to teach them. Um, they have to endure you until, you know, they reach a level of, of personal uh, autonomy where they have to answer for their own decisions. And, and, and they may go on off into the world and begin to engage in the folly of uh, the world, telling them that everything is about them. And, and, and at some point when pain hits them hard enough because the ways of a transgressor are hard, they begin to then appreciate the fact that you, you didn't just ask them, what do you want to do? You guided them as a parent and shepherded them as a, uh, as a parent into biblical truth that they could not uh, even remotely be aware would be a benefit to them down the line. So I do want to say that, too. I'll give you kind of in, in bullet points the way that I would encourage you to, to approach that with them. One is, is that uh, for the older ones, tailor the dialogue towards where their immediate and relevant needs would be um, cultivated through biblical counsel. With the younger ones, maintain the structure of, uh, of, of devotion and make sure the devotional time is reasonable and not overbearing. Uh, pray for, uh, for divine illumination in their minds because God can teach them the truth even without changing their hearts so that that word sits on their conscience as a restrainer of the evil impulses in their fallen nature until he, until he converts them. And, uh, and, 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 and thirdly, uh, you know, collaborate with your wife around it so that uh, you got a good buffer in terms of making sure that, you know, you don't feel like the whole thing is, is on, your, on your shoulders. Let me ask you a question before I let you go and take our next call. Um, are you f sensing any kind of, uh, any kind of anxiety or uh, restlessness with the kids? Well, you know, um, yeah, actually, uh, I would say with my uh, my older teenager, just because uh, she's a young lady and she was doing very well, competitive basketball, and you know had all her friends and everything. Then her world just stopped. And luckily, right. she she um, she kind of was an outlet because people like talking to her. She was a, a freshman playing on varsity, and that's part of the problem. Some of these older girls who were facing challenges because they were supposed to graduate. And they had a right. friends, and then all right. of a sudden that got ruined. And you know, my my daughter's very empathic. Where they, a lot of uh, her friends' feelings, she she would feel. And it's like, hey, you know, you're looking a little little down, a little depressed. Is everything okay? And you would get the uh, stereotypical teenage answer, no, which means yes. Exactly. I would do my best to. Uh, I, would, I would do my best to kind of probe, but not pry, and then right. try and try and speak something from the scriptures from Proverbs, some kind of wisdom that God gave me to, to pass along. So that's that's about the only real mm -hmm. anxiety. The others are more confused, but they're still young enough to be receptive. Mm -hmm. That's good, because uh, a big part of this lesson 
and I want to say this to the whole audience out there, the, a big part of the lesson that we're going through now won't come home with the greatest clarity or, um, or um, understanding until sometime after this event is over. There's more to learn about this event in terms of where we are with our walk with God, why God allowed this, and what he wants us to learn from it when it is over with. Your kids will be able to look back and see a lot of things that are extremely important about what has been taken away from us in this uh, cover for shelter um, uh, pandemic and, and how things being taken away from us really opened the door to help us see what we have and how to appreciate it and how to honor God with, with what we have. For instance, there are a lot of kids out there, and my heart goes out for them, that don't have two parents in the home, that don't have believing parents in the home, that don't have uh, the kind of stable home environment that you and your wife have for, for the kids. And, and, you know, the older kids will immediately get what we're talking about in terms of they got friends, as you know, that are in precarious situations at this present time. So there's a lot for us to learn, not right now, but after the fact. A lot of us will be humbled by this event and learn, you know, where we are in our walk with God. So I want to encourage you to just keep keep working through it, keep being sensitive, keep probing, keep talking, and we'll all get through this together, my dear brother. Thank you for the call. Let me go to line number two before I take a break and talk with uh, Melanie. Melanie from Pittsburgh on line number two. Melanie, are you there? Yes. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. What's your question or observation? My um, observation is um, that I've been hearing um, things going around as far as the banking system and how mm -hmm. that's getting ready to change uh, mm -hmm. with this new world order um, mm -hmm. and it's causing people to start to think about taking your money out of the bank and keeping it on you so that we have the ability to be able to still buy food and gas. And so my uh, question to you is, have you heard anything on this level about our banking system? Yeah, I've been, yeah, for years, for like decades, Melanie, for decades, for decades. I could talk at length about the Federal Reserve, the banking system in America, the banking system in Europe, the banking system strategically set up since, uh, since the Great Depression and the collapse of our economy. Um, early turn of the 20th century and uh, the the prudence of it as well as the uh, the um, I would say the the potential uh, demise of of, uh, of our present uh, economic current system I, I would say this and I don't want to presume how much information you are gathering what are the sources of your uh, information but I know that online for decades there have been uh, people who have espoused a number of uh, assumptions and uh, schemes around the Federal Reserve, one world government, etc., and how it should emerge and begin to uh, destroy our capacity for uh, rates of exchange economically, in other words, moving us into a cashless system. This is a great topic, quite frankly. Um, I'd love to talk about it at length because one of the things that I do is I, I really try to help Christians keep their feet on the ground and have a biblical understanding about things that they actually 
cannot affirm there are aspects of this whole topic about uh, the Federal Reserve and the uh, ten common market and the global uh, uh, one world government that cannot be affirmed in any concrete substantial uh, uh, data online. They can just only be speculated. There is a biblical framework that we can definitely consider in one of the areas in which I will be actually teaching and preaching, because I'm teaching out of the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ right now, is chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. And we, there we will deal with some of the precarious nature of the believer in the world when it comes to economics, but I'm going to also address the fallacy of assumption that the believer um, is somehow uh, being set up for the mark of the beast and the chip in the hand and the chip in the forehead. All that's a bunch of BS, baloney sandwich. It's, it's, those are like outrageous interpretations of the text that really don't apply to the believer in that context. In other words, the believer doesn't have to worry about um, uh, how he or she is going to survive economically relative to waking up one day and all the banks are closed and you can't get your money, this, that, or the other. Uh, we can talk about, you know, how to uh, diversify your your uh, income strand uh, if you have one that to me a believer that is making money should learn how to operate out of the triad of making money saving money and investing money those are the things we teach at Grace have been teaching them for years make money save money invest money make money save money invest money and here's the reason why Melanie money is simply a tool it is not our identity it's not our lifeline um, our God is our lifeline and our God is our um, source of provision. So if somehow there was a complete takeover of our economic system, God would make it clear to you and I how we are to operate in this world um, independent of of, of cash. Because the world is filled with all kinds of ways that we can really get by. We are not all that... Uh, we're not all that knowledgeable about it in terms of uh, of us growing up, a lot of us in the city and not in the country and not in the uh, natural resourced uh, diversity of God's world where we can produce our own food and make our own goods and do a lot of things that don't need uh, the uh, tangible rate of exchange when it comes to dollar bills or coins, etc. Uh, there are people in our world that don't ever think about what you and I are thinking about, who are believers, who live in the country. We're thinking about Africa. We're thinking about India. We're thinking about parts of China. We're thinking about the Middle East, where their whole lives are rooted totally in an agricultural paradigm, where they drink milk from goats and eat chickens and eat eggs and hunt off the land. And so they virtually never engage in where they make their own clothes. They virtually never engage in this kind of... Uh, you know, economic, artificial economic debt-based system that you and I are talking about. And so the Bible would be applying to them as well as to you and me in terms of troublesome times. So really expanding our dialogue around that is what I want to do. So just hold on. I'm going to take a break, pay some bills, and I'm going to come back with you and talk a little bit more if you don't mind. Uh, this okay. is the Monday. Yeah, this is Monday edition of Lifeline. You're listening to Jesse Gistan just chatting with you over some of the crazy things that are taking place in our world. 
um, one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We will be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back at the time five fifty two on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Melanie, are you there? Yes. Good. Um, all right. So, did you have any uh, expanded questions uh, that you wanted to ask on on the on this matter? What what's what's stimulating your thoughts around it? Well, because I received a text from someone that was stating that you know we need to watch for the banks because they're getting ready to be in a position where they're not going to have cash. So, you need to go out and get your cash and uh, have it on hand. And so um, that was the reason that I brought that question up is to get the feedback from you. Uh, and first of all, in knowing, are you aware of this, which you definitely have uh, found on that. And then the biblical part of it and mm-hmm. what does God say about this? Right. Was now, the reason I uh, brought the question to you. Right. So now uh, all throughout history, the issue of money for the people of God are, are anybody, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, poor people, black folks. I can I, I frequently when I'm talking about money with, with my uh, with my own ethnic group. Um, one of the things I just remember just uh, because of the precarious nature of relationships between black people and um, and, 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 and Caucasian people who have dominated uh, uh, black people in terms of slavery, Jim Crow, and the area, in the era in which we, you know, we we didn't have authority over the institutions. We kept our money in uh, in shoe boxes. We kept our money mm-hmm. in uh, coffee cans. We kept our money in jars. Mm-hmm. We kept our money uh, in many different places, right? Right. Um, and that was, and it wasn't that we didn't keep money in the bank. We just didn't keep money only in the bank. Um, and and that, that's largely because we couldn't trust them to to let us have it when we needed it. And you know, so we became our own banking system. And and as a principle, what I want to say about that is, uh, yeah, this is what I love about America is that our constitution is the best document on planet Earth relative to its alleged acknowledgement of the rights and freedoms inalienably uh, invested in us as human beings. And the word freedom really is the foundation for me of constitutional virtue, even though I know how it was interpreted, what the aims were, who were the limited scope of people blessed by it and everybody else. Um, you know, being negated from it, that's that's a whole different conversation. You and I are in a country where constitutionally we have the freedom to uh, engage in a diversity of lifestyle that can amount to um, wisdom or, or folly. We are in a better banking system now presently in our world than we ever have been for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, some measure of uh, of uh, disclosure is available to us by the Freedom of Information Act. Any human being can actually always go there to get data and information about whatever institutions are behaving, whatever kind of way, nefariously or justly. We can get information. In other words, we can go online. Right now, the Internet is a massive jewel of infinite blessing. You just have to you have to uh, look for the jewels in the midst of all of the poop that's online as well. Clean the jewel off and make sure you 
you don't get contaminated by the poop, metaphorically, rhetorically, and philosophically speaking, so that you know the truth from error. Um, but I still appreciate where we are because before the internet, we were in a world where they could lie to us. That is the powers that be. And it would take weeks and months, if not years, to be able to discover whether or not we have been lied to. That is a wholesale massive disadvantage for poor people when you have to get in a car, go down to the bank and ask for money and they give you some crap about how long it's going to take before you can be able to get it, right? Right. Or or discover that the bank itself, that small local bank, just ripped everybody off and your funds are gone. And back in the day with my great, great grandparents and my great grandparents, they didn't have the necessary protection of a minimum of one hundred thousand dollars security for the money that all had to be worked through right. what is called time and era and stuff like that. So you and I. Uh, we have the recourse if we have less than $100,000 in the bank that if the bank defaults for some whatever, for, for whatever reason, we can go to war against them constitutionally. And, uh, and this is where the Federal Reserve is of somewhat benefit. Again, I could talk at length about it. However, like I stated, I always teach three modes. Make money, save money, invest money. And saving money can fall in the category of, of a couple of dimensions. You know, you can put money in the bank. You need to because we operate off of a credit line system by necessity anyway when you have to buy certain things that require a demonstration of, uh, of prudence when it comes to managing debt. I, I think you would agree with that, right? Yeah. Because there, there are some people who don't who don't operate off the uh, credit debt system at all. I get that. If if I always had enough money to buy my house and buy my car outright or buy my children's car outright or my wife something outright, I probably wouldn't use a, a credit debt system either. But there is a prudence in being able to demonstrate that you can borrow somebody else's money, pay mm -hmm. the uh, premium on time, and, 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 and therefore earn a credit line of $100,000 or $30,000 or 50000 because there's a day sometimes when you don't have the money and you you got a credit line of, of three grand, five grand, ten grand, twenty grand, you can keep it moving. And sometimes we need to do that. But I, I'm not opposed to um, the purchasing of silver coins, the purchasing of gold coins. I'm not opposed to if you have if you have an equitable investment mode by which you can take some of your savings and invest it in different kinds of economic commodities. I'm definitely not opposed to that either. A lot, number of people talking about jumping into the Bitcoin business. I'm like, okay, you just jumping out of a frying pan into the fire. I, that's a whole nother conversation because they're scared that the dollar is going to just completely collapse, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing that I want to say to you around that is there's no there's no safe proof there's no there's no way you and I can can safe proof ourselves against the collapse of the dollar let's say the we woke up one day and the dollar just the inflation rate went out the roof and our dollar is 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 worth negative 5 cents and uh you know a loaf of bread you know, costs three thousand dollars now, and that that would mean inflation has just taken off to the degree that we are in a collapsed economy, like many countries mm -hmm. have have gone into. Well, then the dollars that I got under my bed are just like that; they don't mean anything either. Right, right, right. So, right. so my, my my point is is that in terms of 
uh, I think uh, prudent investments, the normative methods that we're using in our world, and uh, we, we have some really good institutions that can help with that. Uh, and they're wise people. They've been around a long time. KFAX is a great institution that has various uh, support systems that you can you can find out about. Um, you know, I, I know them well personally uh, as well. But if you have a good method of savings, operate on that. Second thing I want to encourage you to do is just remember when we have these kinds of difficulties where the economy will collapse, this is a time where our faith is to be so anchored in God and in his word mm -hmm. that we remember what the Lord Jesus says. He plainly tells us that we are not to take any over excessive, unnecessary thought for tomorrow because our Father in heaven knows exactly what we need. Now I'm at a point where I'm dirt broke, dime, dime empty, and I need God to take care of me, right? Right. He, he's got to show up. He's got, he got to show up. I'm his yeah. child. I'm trusting him right. to, to give me wisdom. I'm trusting him to open doors. I'm trusting him to bring to bear in my life angels that are celestial and terrestrial. And what I mean by that, I need him to open doors when no man can open doors. I need him to bring people into my life that he can bring into my life that will give me guidance or give me resources in order for me to now adjust to a new paradigm so I can survive. Mm -hmm. Because if he doesn't mm -hmm. take me out of this world, that means he still has a purpose for me here. Yeah. And he got to take care of me. Absolutely. See, so um, what he would say to you and I in Matthew 6, that we are to take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself, that we are to be wise and prudent, like I said about how to invest, but know this, that our God is greater than any calamity. He's greater than any banking system collapse. He's greater than any shift of economic paradigms. He's, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the ruler over the nations, and he won't ever let his people be found short at all. He, he he can turn the hearts of the kings whithersoever he wills. He can make the pagan take care of his people uh, at the drop of a hat. You and I simply have to mm -hmm. be men and women that are connected to the true and the living God by faith in Jesus and a vital prayer life that's ready to switch when, uh, when it goes from light to darkness, when it goes from day to night. All right, Lord, here we go. I need your fire by night. Uh, and your your cloudy pillar by day to lead me through the midst of this crazy. Yes. Does that help? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you uh, so much, Pastor. All right. Um, I appreciate, you know, your uh, teaching. All right. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, keep listening because um, we talk about this from time to time. And, and, and one last thing I'll say before I, I move on. It's true. You know, we're going to all of the kingdoms come and go. The Bible's clear. The crown doesn't endure forever. And America certainly could end up in a collapsed economy where the dollar is insignificant. But I would I would say that the whatever transition would take place for us. We would want to be very careful to wait and see if the Lord isn't meaning to take that evil that man wants to do and turn it to good for his elect. And so I'm not running. The Bible is very clear. The wicked flee when no man pursues. The righteous are as bold as a lion. I'm not running. I'm waiting to see what my, I'm like Habakkuk. I'm going to sit on the wall and I'm going to wait to see what the Lord will answer me. And when he answers me, then I'm going to make it plain upon the table so everybody else can run to Jesus because he told us the just shall live by faith. Yes. 
All right, bless you, girl. Bless you. All right, I got to take another break. When I come back, I'll take Sean on line three. I'll take James on line one, and I'll take Karen on line four. One line open, one 367 What I love about Melanie's question is that she's actually thinking in a, in a substantial area around wanting to make sure that she is being prudent now in preparation for being prosperous in the future. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I've been around long enough to hear all of the fear-mongering Christians get caught up on bandwagons that actually have absolutely no basis in reality. First, keep your eyes on Jesus. Make sure that you are vitally content in the reality of the promises of God given to you, and then walk in humility and prudence in this world. And God, uh, he can't lie, fail, or change. You can trust him to take care of his sheep. He'll lead you by still waters. He'll, he'll restore your soul. He'll make sure that you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not fearing any evil, because he will affirm his presence in your life. And if the Lord be for you, then nothing in this world can be against you. If you believe that, say amen. I'm going to take a break. The time is 6.05. Got to pay a bunch of bills. When I come back, I'll take your phone calls on this Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. 